Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond Words with Felix and Al. I'm recording this intro today as I walk outside in the cold, gray, wintry day here in Berlin, where my wife and I have recently relocated. So, just getting outside a little bit. And it's cold, man. Damn, it's cold. I forgot what winter was like. But uh, it's also nice. Crisp air. Feels good on the lungs. So, this episode, like all our episodes, is brought to you by our supporters. Our supporters on beyondwords.locals.com. If you enjoy this podcast... If you appreciate this podcast and you'd like to support us, please find us there, beyondwords.locals.com. I want to give a big thank you to our newest supporters. Thank you to Galen. Thank you to Weston. Thank you to Doug in Colorado. And thank you to Ricard, my man Ricard in, in Indonesia. Thanks, guys. Thank you all for your support. Really appreciate you. Uh, and again, if you want to support this podcast, please find us beyondwords.locals.com Another way to support us is whichever platform you're listening on please just pause the podcast for a moment if you haven't done this already if you're on Apple Podcasts you can leave a 5 star review and subscribe to the podcast it takes just a second uh, on Spotify you can follow the podcast and get notifications and any other platform whatever you can do to support Subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review. All these things help to get the podcast out front and center. All right, it's cold, so I'm going to keep this one brief. Hope you enjoy this amazing episode. We talked about all kinds of stuff, including aliens. And we recorded this before the latest alien news from the Israeli scientist who recently shared that we are in contact with an intergalactic federation of aliens who will not accept humans into the federation until we get our shit together. That's the word on the street. So if you're an alien listening to this podcast, well, I hope you enjoy it. Hope this gives you some insight into the human experience and thanks for listening, everyone. All right, here we go. Episode 20, Beyond Words. mic is working. Okay. Turn up the microphone a little bit. There we go. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's better. Here comes the flow. What kind of words are going to come out this time? This time. This time is divine. Everything is cool, man. Everything's all right. 
Everything is smooth, man. Everything's all right. Gonna take a flight into the space where everything makes sense and everything is great. Yes, here we are, Felix and Al, two men with a mission. Our mission is to have some fun and share about life and everything under the sun. My rhyme ain't so tight today, that's okay. I come as I may. I am me, and this is who I am, and I don't really care if I'm not my ideal self in every single moment because, you know, we just have to be ourselves and forgive ourselves even when we can't rhyme. And that's just the nature of life. Because here in life, sometimes we're really hard on ourselves. We have high expectations, lots on the shelf. We want that trophy. We want that gold medal. But sometimes, man, we just can't get that. So we just show up. And as long as we show up however we are and we forgive ourselves and our friends and, and the world, everything's okay, man. We're not perfect. And we are at the same time. We're perfect. So thanks for listening, everybody. We're really, really grateful to have you. And we look forward to the show. Thanks for joining us today, the day where nothing rhymes, but yet it still flows. Thanks to Felix on, on the ukulele. You, you. Thank you. Thank you, Indianapolis. Oh, wait, we're, we're, we're in Peru. We're Peru. in Georgia, man. Georgia. Thank you, Georgia. Yeah. Ah, peaches. Peaches. I once drove through Georgia. And the peaches thing is true, man. I was driving through in peach season. I think it was August. And on these little like little highways, there's all these peach stands. You pull over and there's like 10 varieties of peaches. And I remember we just ate peaches for days. We had a basket of peaches in the back of the car. We were driving from New York all the way to New Mexico. We went through New Orleans, New, New Orleans. I almost moved to New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. Nola. No. <laughs> Nola. I almost moved there to be a bartender. It's a cool town. It's a good town to be a bartender. They're probably the only other good town to be a bartender besides New York. Is it pretty seasonal though? Uh yeah. Well, I think that it's pretty touristy year round. Uh, obviously Mardi Gras is a big deal, but we were there in August. Like it's the hottest, muggiest time, and there's still people everywhere. Hmm. It's a it's a really interesting place. It's unlike any city anywhere in the world. It's, it doesn't even feel like you're in the United States. You're in some weird amalgamation of 19th century France and Spain and tropical and really cool buildings and people sitting on their balconies waving fans on themselves to cool off because it's so hot. And they have a drink uh, in New Orleans. Their famous drink is called the Sazerac. The Sazerac is uh, you take some absinthe, which is, you know, super powerful, and you coat the glass with absinthe. And then you pour in uh, some rye whiskey with some pecho bitters. And you take a twist of orange. And as you squeeze the orange twist, you light it, the little the the oils that come out are flammable so it makes a little flame and you drop that in the cup and then you serve it to the person 
It's very strong, very good. What's the name? Sazerac. Sazerac. It sounds like, like a tesseract. What? What's a tesseract? It's like folding space and time. Oh yeah. Well, drink enough Sazeracs, I think that might happen too. It's a, it's a, it's the drink of New Orleans, the Sazerac, probably from some 19th century drink. They used to drink a lot of absinthe back in the day. That's what Van Gogh was drinking when he cut off his ear. I don't blame him. Yeah, he was like, "Oh, this is so nasty. I gotta cut my ear off." <laughs> I can a taste totally it natural my ear. <laughs> Poor guy. Rest in peace. Yeah, his uh, like his self portrait with the missing ear. It really, you can it evokes his struggle, man. That guy was struggling. I used to fall asleep to a a Van Gogh documentary. It was the most huh. like hypnotizing beautiful documentary i can't find it anywhere it, it was, was your Netflix. bedtime documentary it was my bedtime documentary it was like 12 years ago it was amazing uh, it was a great documentary it, it was such a like another reason i'm grateful to be alive now those are hard times and people drank a lot that was their medication like the struggling artist the tortured soul and did drugs yeah, whatever they could get their hands on. I don't know what kind of drugs they did back then. Opium, maybe? Probably. If opium, yeah. Opium in 19th century France. Yeah, well, he sure was a good painter. He was. There was a uh, a psychologist who was discussing Van Gogh and why he lost his mind. And they said that the biggest challenge for an artist is that they create these worlds of art and they they see the world like that, <clears throat> but it's not how the world really is. And so they keep painting, especially Van Gogh. He kept painting and painting and painting and painting. And he kept trying to create the world as he saw it. And he couldn't. And he lived in a very bleak reality compared to his paintings. And so he killed him. You know, he died. You know, yeah. Did he kill himself? I forget. I forget, too. I wasn't there. I watched the documentary 10,000 times. You probably fell asleep, probably <laughs> asleep by the time they got <laughs> they, to that part. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the beauty of artists. It's like without struggle in life, we wouldn't have very good art. All the best art comes from the struggle, right? Struggle is real. The struggle is real. I mean, look at all the tortured souls who made amazing music, you know, the Kurt Cobains of the world and uh, Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. I mean, Radiohead, all these great bands and musicians, they're, they're singing the struggle, you know, and they're expressing it. And that's the beauty of it is it like it's it's you don't hear many artists who just had a really easy life. You know, usually artists, they get rich, the fame, successful ones after the fact, but they're all struggling. Mostly they're struggling with life and poverty and drugs and and trying to be an artist in the world where that wants you to conform and. They're going against their parents' wishes to go stay in school and all this stuff. And they're so thanks, artists. Thanks for using the struggle to create something beautiful. And Heath Ledger. Yeah, he died because of being the Joker, right? I mean, he went so deep into that part. I mean, I think that I wish he had had a bit more training to be able to let go of that part. He went too. D- I mean, he went so deep he didn't know how to get out of it. I mean, what's his name? I wonder how he's doing. Um, uh, the guy who played the Joker recently. Um, 
He was also in Gladiator. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix? Joaquin Phoenix. I wonder how he's doing, because he did a pretty damn good job, too. My God. I wonder if now they just have, like, psychologists and psychotherapists on site when they're playing that role. Yeah, I mean, or, like, plant medicine. Like, really good acting is very shamanic. Like, being able to, essentially, like, the best actors, and I don't know if they're, they'd verbalize it this way, but they see their own identity and they're able to set it aside and adopt a totally different one and totally embody it. They become it. And, and I I guess in the case of Heath Ledger, he hadn't mastered then being able to let go of that. But I imagine it can be a very lonely experience because if if an actor gets so lost in all their parts, they don't even know who they are anymore. It becomes so fluid and, uh, I, I just can imagine, I mean, I have limited experience. I studied some acting and I never was good enough to get lost in the role. <laughs> but um, it's really, they 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 can take on these archetypes and, and in the darker roles, they take on the darkness of, hum, of humanity, of human beings, and they take it on. They become it. To become that, you really have to take it on. You have to absorb that. And we spend a lot of time in plant medicine uh, trying to let go of those darker elements that hold us back, but they willingly take it on, you know, when they're good. You know a good actor. Um, There's an actor, what's his name? He's like the best actor in the world, and I always forget his name. He's Irish. Daniel Day-Lewis. So Daniel Day-Lewis is another one. He's, you know, like an actor who completely assumes the role for the duration of the filming, even when they stop the camera he stays in character he goes home and he's in character imagine being his wife <laughs> who's coming home today <laughs> it's, a, it's an adventure in figuring out a personality i bet a lot of them have multiple personality disorder also or, uh, like uh, or multiple personality gifts gift. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who was it um matthew mcconaughey dallas buyers club I haven't seen that. Oh, really? It's good, no? I mean, yeah, he just, like, fell into the... He got so skinny for that yeah. role. Like, he emaciated himself. That's what, the, is, what does that do to you, you know? That's the other... That's such a sacrifice. I mean, that's what um, Joaquin Phoenix did for Joker, too. I mean, he was emaciated. He looked really mentally ill. And, yeah, I mean, that's a justification for their millions and millions of dollars. I mean, if they really put it all in, you know, and... That's hard. And then the next role, they might have to be like super ripped. So they have to take steroids and eat a bunch of food. Um, what's his name? Who was in Fight Club? He was also an American History X. Edward Norton. He got ripped for American History X. I think he was taking steroids and stuff. I think he talked about it. He was huge. He was huge. And he was really good in that role too. My, wow. Have you seen that movie? No. It's really good. Is it? He, I mean, he, he, in the movie, he he starts out as a nice guy, and then he gets... Or no, he's... I think when it starts, he's already a neo-Nazi, and he's hardcore. And then he goes to jail, and he... This doesn't ruin the movie, it's obvious, but he comes out a different person. Hmm. And you see this dichotomy. Um, and he, when he comes out, he's trying to wrong all the rights and... Right all the wrongs, sorry. Uh, <laughs> wrong all the rights. But he's like a mean, mean dude in wow. the first part of the movie. He really owns it. Very wow. different character than his... Fight Club character, especially in the beginning when he was just this corporate slave, this yes man who was lost. 
Ah, but also another fantastic journey of art, Fight Club. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I watched it, I was at the end like, wait, what? Like, I don't get it. I don't understand why. What's yeah. going on with his brain? Is he okay? Yeah. <laughs> Does he need help? He did. He did need help. He didn't help. But in the very end, you don't know what happens. At the very, because it starts at the end as well. Yeah. And so after you don't know how to, you don't know how to, because it cuts out, right? Well, after he shoots himself, he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. He's like talking to Marla, Marla Singer, his girlfriend or his love interest. He's like, I I just need to uh, uh, explain everything. You know, he's, he's just such a, it doesn't, you don't know who's talking. You don't know if it's Tyler Durden or Edward Norton. Mm. which they're both Tyler Durden in some way, but yeah, I think the first time I watched it, I didn't even get it. I didn't get that they were the same person. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to see it, but then you watch it again, knowing that. And it's just so obvious. Oh my God. When I first watched it, I watched it once and then I watched it seven times in a row. after. That. <laughs> I, I heard that recently I read this like last week in New York, there was a huge bust of a fight club in the Bronx, like 60 dudes fighting in a basement. The cops came in and busted it up. It was like a real fight club. Wow. Well, I, yeah, I think that's why it's a, such a challenging movie because it basically encourages, you know, these average men to step outside of their boundary to and rebel. become, yeah, to, rebels and yeah, to free them so they're no longer slaves. First rule of Project Mayhem is you don't talk about Project Mayhem. Mm-hmm. It really speaks to the angst of probably a lot of people who are especially. Corporate people and especially in New York in New York. I mean all especially in the United States in general mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people watch that and it really expressed their Their detachment and their anger and their frustration that they could never really express and then it it showed them Maybe they even took it. They thought that this was a normal life, you know and That was a movie that really influenced me and along with the matrix and and then the documentary um, Zeitgeist. Remember that? I rewatched that again. It's on YouTube. Recently? Yeah. It's crazy how old it looks now. When it came out, it seemed so cool and cutting edge. Yeah, and hip. and. But it's, you know, it's like 14 years old now, and it definely looks dated. I, it came out in 2008? I think no, 2007. 2000, I think it was 2007. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good documentary. Definitely check it out. He's made three or four more after that. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting where he went with it. But um, I think the first one is the most potent in terms of, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Well, it's funny because I showed that documentary to my mom when she first started dipping her toes into the conspiracy theory world. And she agreed with everything except for the Christianity part. Yeah. I can see why. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... There's a couple like that movie left me doubting spirituality in general, so I don't think it really it, it addressed the fact that yes, a lot of the Bible and Christianity that story's been told a thousand times, but it didn't really I don't recall it really getting to the core of what that message is really about through all the symbolism, and even though those archetypes of Jesus has been played many times before. Um, there's still a very powerful message in it. And just because it's disproving the originality of the Bible and the 
Christianity doesn't disprove the power of the message, uh, at least as I interpret it. So, well, it's funny again growing up Mormon and and listening to a lot of sermons or talks or whatever we call them. Um, there's even passages in the Bible from Jesus where he says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And they, they, they look at that and they have their own, they twist it. They like take the words, the direct words and like, well, it actually means is that if you are a child of God and, and you're following all the commandments and you're doing da, 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 then you will reach the kingdom of heaven within yourself. Or you'll die and go to the kingdom of heaven. It was just, it was such a weird way to skew words that are pretty clear. And the way I interpret it is heaven is here right now and it's a choice to see it. But why Why would you, they, they put all these other words into the middle of the words. Like yeah. they would have, I remember being in church and they have like, you know, once a week they have a different person coming up to talk about their favorite scripture. Or they have a topic that they talk on faith or testimony whatever and yeah it's like every person has to come up there and give their interpretation of that word of those words of that one passage or whatever and it's like we're getting so lost in the passage and trying to interpret and trying to interpret and what if it's just directly what it's saying except for some of the weird parables and stories and there was actually a, a funny, this is when I started pulling out of the church. There was a funny documentary a friend of mine gave me. It was Dinosaurs in the Bible. And and it was like trying to prove how dinosaurs were in the Bible. And that was like the time of dinosaurs because they're trying to prove the world is 12,000 years old, which is ridiculous. But uh, so they're trying to prove how they did talk about dinosaurs in the Bible. And yeah, and here in this passage, the big lizard or the big dragon is actually a T-Rex and it was it was fascinating it was it was very fun the guy had a lot of great energy <laughs> but as I look back I'm like oh yeah he was trying to prove the world was 12,000 years old which is yeah just preposterous I remember it when I lived in Denver at the Denver Natural History Museum which has all the dinosaur bones there were Christian tours where they basically interpret everything people are seeing uh and bit, bit telling people don't read what it says about 10 million years old this is the story and so they would incorporate that to fit you know the very literal biblical version of how old the earth is oh my God. but you know who know i don't know i wasn't there i wasn't around no. maybe what did happen twelve thousand years ago was a massive uh uh flood there was probably meteors hitting the planet asteroids massive flooding as evidence, I think there's, uh, they can see, even see it on the pyramids of Egypt. They can see where the water level came up. So in a sense, the world kind of did start 12,000 years ago, but there was something here before that. But, but, oh man, I just, uh, I have Bill Hicks in my head and he's like, <laughs> this Christian came up to him and he's like, Bill Hicks was reading. He's like, oh, how old do you think the world is? And Bill Hicks is like, I better strap myself in just to make sure I get this download. And the guy's like, 12,000 years old. He's like, wow. Well, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, what we did is we took all the ages of the people in the Bible and we uh, subtracted them backwards and found out that the world was 12,000 years old. 12,000 years old. 
<laughs> Bible science. It's just so silly. I mean, you're right. I, I wasn't there. I wasn't. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we had incarnations then. But the interesting thing was the science behind it, the 12,500-year cycle or the 25,000-year cycle that happens, which we're coming to the end of one of them, which is like the Mayan calendar kind of talked about, makes sense. And this is where Graham Hancock and the fingerprints of the God, he started to talk about the the massive flood that hit the U.S. There's a, a huge wall or a tectonic wall. Tectonic? Tectonic. Tectonic wall in Canada. Do you know the name of it? Nope. Okay. Well, somebody will probably know the name of it. Probably Galen will know the name of it. But uh, with with that wall, they're they're discovering how that happened, and it had to have been a massive impact of sorts uh-huh. that actually pushed that forward. And the, the ice sheet was there at a certain time, so it must have pushed that down, and it melted all the way down into North America and further into yeah. South America. And like the Great Lakes and the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, like they're all evidence of some kind of massive, massive ice melting flood like yeah and there was an ice age right yeah yeah who knows who knows i don't know it's interesting because like as i kind of dive deeper into medicine these practices it's like be more present be more present be more present it's kind of like through this tibetan or buddhist philosophy it's kind of more now is the most important thing Mm -hmm. But then I've had other teachers like Michael Tassarion who say, like, in order for us to really be free, we need to know our past. We need to know our history or her story. We need to know both. Huh, his story, her story. <laughs> and he says, yeah, a lot of the issue with, with history is it's his story. It's not her story. Who's her story? Mm. So I, I have this, I've kind of stopped recently diving into history and more into like Tibetan stuff but I used to really love like what happened before fingerprints mm-hmm. of the gods or um, another great one was the secret history of America or the secret history of the world mm-hmm. which are great books yeah I mean it's all I love that stuff but I also recognize it. it's just it's fun obviously we'll never know I, I mean I don't know Maybe we'll uncover something that'll be that really really explain things, but it's quite clearly evident that the history I was taught growing up, a lot of it's being discredited in terms of uh, that the oldest civilization is you know ten thousand years ago. That all of a sudden hunter gatherers started building monolithic uh, structures like pyramids or Gobekli Tepe and all these places, and it's quite evident that something happens i think this is what happened like there was very advanced civilizations there was some cataclysmic event and very few of those people survived but the ones who did survive carried forward a knowledge that allowed other survivors to build these monolithic structures because you don't just go from one day gathering fruits and hunting to building the pyramids that doesn't just happen so that, that that could be hundreds of thousands of years of, of knowledge uh, in order to do that, right? So um, I think that er, most of an ancient culture, very advanced, was erased, but there was still something retained, and that knowledge was spread. Like, why do we see pyramids all over the world? Did a bunch of people who were hunting and gathering, all of a sudden, at the same time, without any contact with each other, 
build pyramids. Come on, man. Or or even here in Peru, especially in the Sacred Valley, some of these ruins, oh. they're just so advanced. I mean, the way the stones fit together is unbelievable. There's stones here that are, I don't know, 500 tons or something yeah. more than that, that they've somehow m- maneuvered and manipulated into a perfect like a laser Structure. precision. Late beyond, yeah. Machu Picchu has some of that. It looks like a laser cut it. And they don't know. They, they actually don't know how some of these stones were cut with such precision. Because we can't really do that now. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> so it's really impressive. We probably could if we really tried. But but, uh, but to the precision. And, and we're saying that these people, like you said, just got out of the forest being hunter-gatherers. And they're like, let's design the most architecturally... Sophisticated (laughs) piece of, well, you know, whatever. Yeah, I remember that really started to throw a wrench in my mind in a way of, like, thinking. (laughs) When I went up to the Pizak ruins uh, with the tour guide, and he said, there's three tiers of of ruins here. He said, the oldest ruin, or sorry, the youngest ruins are these ones. They're the kind of rocks that are just kind of fit together, and they kind of look almost like uh, old Spanish stone homes. He said the second oldest ones are rocks, but they fit together very well. And the oldest are actually the ones that are pristine, the ones that look like Lego blocks that have been laser cut. So it's like the the knowledge was lost over time. Like we've actually digressed. We've devolved. I believe that. I believe that too. I'm even seeing that like in the last... 30 years and I and I say that with the utmost love and, and respect to humanity but a lot of people like my younger brother he doesn't leave the house he just stays in front of a computer does he listen long. to our podcast no hey man <laughs> yeah it's you know we have all these technological advancements but we're devolving in a in a greater sense of intelligence and wisdom and uh harmony with each other and the earth we're devolving like this whole new world order bullshit that's a devolution how do you know it's not an evolution man well i think they think it is let's be one people yeah i've been thinking a lot about all that i keep getting uh, people keep talking about this great reset there's an article on forbes forbes magazine that pretty much lays it out. That's a mainstream magazine. So it's pretty much all being laid out for us to see all of a sudden the technocracy is coming where technology will keep us in check, keep us in line. But, you know, it's going to keep coming gradually as it has been for the past 50, 60, 70 years. So we won't really notice it. And then one day someone will pick up the book Brave New Worlds or 1984 and they'll be like, oh, that's a true story. It's really happening. That already happened. A lot of it's already happened. We don't even realize it. Thought police. What We have thought police? In 1984, <clears throat> they talk about the thought police, and it's just basically limiting the expression of thought. And like what, you know, now on Facebook, more and more people are being censored. On Spotify, people are being censored. There's like people sure. like... Sure. What big, is that? That's like thought police. Being, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think about it a lot now because... I'm going to have a child in seven months and six months, seven months. 
whoop whoop June. And so, yeah, there's like this whole consideration, like how to, where to raise a child so the child can grow up with um, freedom in some sense. Uh, so I think about these things a little more seriously now. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the world's going to look like in seven months. I do find solace knowing that no matter how much control there is and technology and all that, like, again, we said it before, but you can't crush the spirit. You know what I'm saying? So, but I hope it just, I don't want it to become like 1984. I don't want it to become this massive surveillance program where... I think you and a lot of people. Yeah, so I have also faith in that kind of human spirit of resisting that, you know? I also have faith that maybe there's some benevolent alien race that will come in and kind of help us out of this little conundrum here, you know? Like contact? Yeah. Or what was What was the most recent one? Um, But yeah, like, like that benevolent or maybe they, they we, we won't even know they're here but they're doing stuff behind the scenes you ever noticed this is this is strange you ever notice there's very little good alien movies like where the aliens are good and they've come to help other yeah. than et was nice but that was like the last or, or con or what was it close encounters of the fifth kind i didn't see that that's a good one yeah but they're mostly assholes they're or, or like or in the movie alien the they're disgusting yeah. and slimy but uh I, you know, I believe that there are already quote unquote aliens present. They just operate in different dimension, right? So they're interdimensional travelers and maybe they're already influencing things. Maybe behind the scenes, there's like an alien war happening on this planet <laughs> and between like control and free will and all this stuff. Hmm. Maybe. There is a kind of going back to the history thing. There was a talk by Terrence McKenna, and on our very first podcast we ever did with Josh, uh, I talked about this. It's it's called A Funny Idea by Terrence McKenna. And please don't think that I think this is true. It's just a funny idea. You think it's true, don't you, man? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so Terrence McKenna was meditating in his regular fashion, so probably five dried grams of psilocybin mushrooms. And he started to get this funny idea. And and the onset of this funny idea, he was like, no, this can't be real. This can't be real. This is this is an idea for a new science fish, fiction novel. But what he saw was that the earth split in two. And he says, there's something in the universe called a fractal soliton of improbability. And what happens when it collide, collides with a, a universe, it splits the time stream of that universe in, into two pieces. And so he says that that happened to the earth. And w- when that happened, it was when Christ was born. When Christ was born, there was a massive energetic consequence that happened here. This Messiah came and he changed the world and brought these teachings but it also created massive wars massive destruction the crusades um and much and it continues to this day actually we're still feeling the repercussions of that and he says in the other reality christ wasn't born and in fact there was a an ideological jump 
to the understanding of Christ instead of a Christ-like figure being born. The people naturally came into this understanding that they are all one. And so this civilization began to advance very, very rapidly with this idea, and they began to become very technologically advanced. Well, he said by A.D. 500, they discovered they made ships that could travel across the Atlantic Ocean, these Europeans. They made ships to travel across the Atlantic Ocean. They came down to South America, and they came in contact with the uh, the shamans here. And so they started to mix in these psychedelic plants, these plants that open you even further into the psychedelic or the spiritual realm. And so they began to advance not only technologically, but also psychically and spiritually through psychedelics and their understanding. And he said by AD, I think, no, by AD 500, they invented calculus. By AD, or sorry, AD 800, they'd already began exploring space. So by the time they reached our time, they were very, like, it was a whole other world technologically, and they were so advanced that they had reached interdimension, or inner space travel and beyond. And so he said, again, this is just a funny story from Terrence McKenna, but he said, eventually they discovered what had happened to the earth. And the way they discovered is they saw in visions a nuclear explosion because they had also discovered nuclear fission and nuclear bombs, but they decided not to touch it because they were one race. But in our reality, we, we didn't say no. We said yes. And so they saw us in this reality detonating nuclear bombs, and they said that that impact of a nuclear bomb shot, sent shockwaves through time into the other reality. And so they started to see it on both realities. So they've discovered that we were trapped in this weird parallel reality. And so now it's their mission to try and come back through and find us in our time and help us to get out of it and discover that we're actually one with this other reality and then we'll emerge and, yeah. And he says, we'll reach interspatial travel and travel the universe and so forth. So, so this it's like a co-reality, coexisting at the same... It, it's Wow. So everything that happened in this reality didn't happen in that reality. Everything that happened in that reality, but they're advanced didn't enough yet. to tap into this one. Maybe and maybe sometimes we tap into it, maybe unknowingly. Maybe that's why there's shows like Star Trek or Star Wars tapping into this reality where interspatial travel is a real thing. Like, you know, where does the where does this imagination come from on people who write this or all the science fiction novels about space and maybe they're tapping into you know, is it, it's possible that everything we imagine exists in a different split reality, right? Absolutely. That there's simultaneously infinite versions of reality. Well, that's even what they're discovering now with like quantum physics and um, what is it? The multiverse, understanding the multiverse. Uh, I think Joe Rogan had a funny little talk on like, he's like, reality's infinite. So whatever we're doing right now, we've done an infinite number of times. So we're just, you know, <laughs> he used it as like, you're being stupid infinitely. So <laughs> just be aware of that. But, but yeah, I think when we start to partake of plant medicine, uh, psychedelics, we start to see kind of a fractal nature in things uh, or the infinite nature of things. Um, the Mandelbrot set, I think, is an absolutely divinely inspired understanding of mathematics. 
to see fractals. What is the map? What is it called? Mandelbrot set. It's basically it shows a hologram. It's the <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen the the Mandelbrot where they zoom in ten times and it's the same design at you know ten times ten to the zooming out here and ten times ten to the zooming in there. Like it reflects itself, and if you zoom into any part of the Mandelbrot set, it's going to reflect that part that you've zoomed into. And they've discovered this in mathematics, so they they're like, "Oh, we have to actually start addressing this in science and seeing how we live in an infinite reality." Wow. Food for thought. A funny idea. A funny idea, indeed. Hmm. I'm just sitting with that right now. So what do we do? We keep playing with ideas. Yeah. Because I think, you know, again, within our own framework of here and now, we have the opportunity to see reality in any way we want. If we want to play with that funny idea and see it as real, in some ways it is real in our minds we can tap into it we can you can embrace it and you can have hope through that just like Jesus because sometimes I wonder about different inventions and technologies that have come how they just emerge out of nowhere maybe they came from that other reality they were given to us you, you know Nikola Tesla yeah I know I know of Tesla yeah did you hear like oh, in one of his biographies i think they were talking about how we'd have intense migraines and like white flashing lights and he said that he would talk to these beings from beyond really and receive these technologies wow. and he incre- he invented some some kind of <sighs> free electricity right a tesla and coil the story is that edison made sure to crush it because edison wanted to make money and tesla wanted everyone to have free energy he made over i think over like a thousand different inventions right some of them were weapons which he was like, I don't want these. And others were free, limitless technology. Right. Like the Tesla coil. So something is tapping into certain people for them to express these technologies. I mean, like cryptocurrency too and blockchain. It's such a mystery where it came from. But to me, it it was, it was like planted here, you know, through this mysterious character who no one knows who he is, if he even exists. And all of a sudden it was here and it's shaping up to be very, very, have a very dramatic impact. I don't know where it's going, but it's, it's surging. Everybody, Bitcoin on the rise. It's going to keep, I think it's going to keep raising. It's going to hit 50,000. Hopefully you get a sponsor from Bitcoin. A sponsor from Bitcoin? Or some kind of cryptocurrency. You you talk about it a lot and it's great. Like you, you should get a sponsor. You're selling me on it. Bitcoin, everybody. Well, yeah, I, but I don't know if it's if it's going to be good or not. I, I just see potential that it could be really awesome. It it could uh, enable people to freely transact with, with one another without a third party of government and banks. But I also see banks and governments embracing it too for their own for their own uh, gains. So who knows, man? But it, it's really interesting. Could be revolutionary. It could be. It could be. I think right now we're still trying to figure out what to do with it. But people are buying into it. So 
and most people buying into it don't even understand it. They just think it's going to be a big deal. So, well, Mark posted, Mark the astrologer posted on the Facebook group an article he wrote about the upcoming change of Saturn and Jupiter, which we talked about uh, two episodes ago. Mm. And yeah, it's a time of revolution. It's a time of changing from one system to another system. And that's coming up December? December 2020. And so it could be this new monetary system. Yeah. Like now that I'm in, you know, the what little investment I have in it, it's a lot to me, but but now I'm just like watching it, you know, kind of obsessively, and it's a bit silly. But sometimes I wonder like is it cuz professional day traders, investors, people investing in stocks and in cryptocurrency, they watch all these trends, right? They watch these graphs and they look for the slightest sign that maybe it's going to drop in value. So they sell and they base it on past. They base it on models, right? From the past. And I'm just wondering, like, it seems that there's, there's a one, there's a great one mind that we all tap into in some way, uh, at the same time. And like, I'm wondering if, if I can somehow tap into that and just feel into what I'm experiencing in my response to where this is going, if I can tune into the greater mind of where it's going and then base decisions on that, on when to buy it or sell it. Because it's, it's, I don't know. I I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just want to, I want to win that game, you know, but I don't want to sell it because if it's really going there, like you shouldn't sell it, you should hold on to it. I don't know, man, what, what to do. Any crypto experts out there? (laughs) Well, I think what, you know, you said to tap into that greater one mind, you know, we have talked about the holographic mind or the holographic mindset. The way, and I think everyone's going to find their own way to intentionally tap into this holographic mind or this greater mind of your own. <clears throat> and the way I typically do it is I think, okay, I've already died. And now I'm watching the movie of my life again. What can I say my, to myself from that side to here now? Because that mind already knows what's happening or what happens. And it's been there. Now it's just watching the life again. You know, how people say, you know, my whole life flashed before my eyes. Well, through a study of, I think it was like a thousand NDEs, near-death experiences, or, or uh, what's the other one? No, I think near-death experiences, where they come back, they said, well, the main thing I remember from where I just was, was that I just watched my whole life from beginning to end in living color. So I'm like, okay, that's a fun little idea to play with there. So I'm already there. Now I'm looking back. Maybe you're, we're already experiencing the memory of our life. We don't know that. It, that's that. Yeah, that's what always blows my mind. <laughs> so what? What do you say to yourself? What do you you know from that side to here? How could I? How could I be better in this moment? Or what could I do to make my life be live better? Hmm. 
I say to myself, hold on to your cryptocurrency and don't take everything so seriously. And don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Boom. You did it. <laughs> it's funny, like, <clears throat> with a lot of these <laughs> kind of being in the world of plant medicine and faith healing and energy healing and all these things, like, this topic of having faith or complete trust in something keeps coming up for me in this place of like, so for today, for example, today is Guru Rinpoche's day and Guru Rinpoche or Padmasambhava was a, was a Buddha. He became a Buddha and he's on this day, the 24th of November. It'll probably be a different day when you're listening to this, but on this day he's, uh, he says he comes back and he starts to grant or remove obstacles from people. And he says, if you have the utmost faith, I will appear to you. I will show myself to you. And man, it says, sometimes it's like, it's really hard to get myself in a lather, especially when I was growing up with all this Christianity and like, Jesus will save you if you do this. You know, these conditions are right. And you, you know, but I think I find it so much easier to find faith in myself, even though I know I can't know exactly where that dead person, that dead part of me is and where he's looking at in my life. But I still feel like I, I can feel a tingle somewhere. And through that tingle, I begin to build something on that tingle of like, okay, like we're starting to like tap fingers. And as I kind of embrace that more and more, I start to get like, oh, I got, I got the hand. There's a hand there. All right. And the more I can like handshake these things that I should have faith in or these parts of myself that I should have faith in, the more I can actually bring them solidly into the present moment. And so I know like a lot of people have these, these aversions or these challenges when it comes to like working with ayahuasca and they hear, Oh, you know, like, you know, the Shipibo guy, the person's going to sing to you and they're going to heal you. It's like, what? Somebody's going to sing to me and heal me. Like, Cool. I'll try and believe that. I can remember a lot of guests at the temple came in and they're like, okay, like, not a lot, but, you know, a few of them would come in and be like, that sounds cool, but I don't really, you know, you sure they're going to sing and, like, heal us? Like, I can kind of believe it. And then they have an experience in ceremony where the, the voice of the maestro starts to, like, change things in their body and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, this is strange. But even then, they're kind of like, well, well, maybe it's just like, you know, when I turn Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon on, when I take mushrooms in my room, it definitely influences my trip, right? But it's actually like, there's a spiritual, a spirit in front of you, a plant spirit, that's actually going into your brain and helping you reprogram yourself. And I remember even in the beginning of my journey, you know, I was like, spirit, cool. Like, I don't know. Let me see an interaction. And then I remember I was really scared. I'm like, wait, 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 let's let's take it slow. You know, and the first time you guys come to me, let's be real slow. And the first time I saw a spirit in sober consciousness in the middle of diet, it walked by my tambo and it scared the bejesus out of me. It scared me shitless. What did it look like? I just saw its legs. It was super tall. So it was quite like, and I saw it walk by the tambo and I knew I was alone. I was alone in the middle of the jungle. And I was just like, that was terrifying. So, 
you know, a lot of us don't believe and don't believe and don't believe. And then we're like, okay, we want to believe, but show us, but don't show us. Or I'm like, I, I want to believe, so show me, but don't show me. And that's how I've been experiencing that today as I'm like chanting to Guru Rinpoche or Padmasambhava. And I start to get into this space of really connecting with it. And then I start to see a face and I'm like, ah, am I, is this real? Or am I just kind of like imagining it? The fact that you're seeing it like shows that you believe in it. Like I've seen a lot of people come to plant medicine very skeptical and, and few of them, but some of them hold on to that skepticism and they're proven right to themselves because it's, 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 a, it's funny if you strictly don't believe in it and you don't believe it's possible and you really are not open to any shift, then you might be able to prove that belief to be right. And so faith to me and believing in something is opening up that it is possible. And then you might see that spirit. It might scare the shit out of you, but you're seeing it because you're open to the possibility. And so all these skeptics and atheists and all that, they're right in a sense because their reality is generated by their belief in something and their belief is that there isn't something greater and they're proven right because they've completely shut that possibility out but it's funny a lot of atheists uh who are in kind of in the public limelight they refuse to engage with psychedelics plant medicines uh, maybe out of fear that, that their whole paradigm will be turned upside down um, Richard Dawkins is one of those people, you know, like, how can you write off something like psychedelic plant and just call it a drug? Uh, it's just a drug. You've never even tried it. You don't know what you're talking about. You've never experienced it. I, I was skeptical too, coming into ayahuasca, but there was clearly some kind of willingness to be proven wrong. And I was. I was working, I think I've shared this, but I was working the door in a ceremony at the temple. I think it was after you had trained me, Felix. Felix trained me to work that door. And the door job is basically my job is it's in the Maloka, so the ceremony. There's 24 people participating, five maestros, maestras singing. And um, I would drink a little bit of ayahuasca just to connect with everything. And my job was to open the door for guests as they go to the bathroom. And then this one time I drank a tiny bit and it started to come on. And all of a sudden I'm in a very lucid, clear state. I could have driven a car, I could have written a book, whatever. And I'm wearing these goggles where I'm seeing thousands. It looked like maybe hundreds, hundreds of spirits in the Maloka as the maestros are singing these tall kind of translucent grayish coloring, I guess, and specifically where maestros were singing to specific people, they were hovered around the people like doing stuff. And they were walking in and out of through the screen of the Maloka, hundreds of them. And I was blown away. And it was so strong that, that I couldn't anymore differentiate who, what's what, like what's a spirit, what's a person. And I started opening the door for spirits because they would come through and, I, and be like, oh shit, that was a person. And then people would come needing to go to the bathroom and I wouldn't open the door because I thought, you know, ah, oh, it's just spirit. Yeah, but that, that, that was the day. It was probably like my third or fourth month there in the jungle where like I, 
everything that the maestros are talking about that I would before kind of write off. It's kind of subtly like, oh, that's just, they're just believing that, whatever, you know. But I saw it, man. I saw it with my eyes. And that day changed everything for me. And now when the maestros would talk about the plant spirits and the plant doctors, um, it had a whole new meaning for me. And because I was just, there was an openness to that being possible. And of course, even after that, the skeptical mind still comes in. I have to remember that moment sometimes. But since then, I've had many other experiences like that. Many experiences. I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of spirits, seeing like spider-like insectoids, you know, crawling around. They didn't look so nice. Um, and that's that's it. And I guess, like in your position, you've, I think through the training too, there there becomes more of of an ability and a more consistent ability to really see that because you fully embraced that paradigm. You fully believe in it. And you, so you see it. Yeah. There's the edge of like believing or trying to believe into just knowing, like you just shared, you know, like Mm -hmm. at that moment you saw them, you saw them walking around and doing their thing and you're like, Oh, Oh my God, it's real. Yeah. You know, um, and my mind wasn't making it up. Sometimes the skeptical mind's like, oh, you were just seeing things. No, you, you don't make that up. No, <laughs> it was absolutely real. As real as you and I sitting here right now, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I think through, I, I think anyone can reach that place of, of that awareness of seeing that. It doesn't have to be, there's many avenues to seeing clearly what's here in reality. Uh, yesterday I watched uh, an interview and this guy goes around he, he interviews people with special needs there was a kid he was interviewing who was schizophrenic and so as I'm watching this video I'm staring at the kid and just like man he is so open psychically like I really firmly believe schizophrenia is like what they looked for back in the day when they were looking for apprentices and and I was listening to this kid's words and he was saying, you know, he would stop and he would listen and he would see things. And the guy was like, well, are you having a hallucination right now? And just the way that they were programming him to like step away from this world. And, and then he was saying, you know, I, I do hear things, but I, I am currently in the middle of an interview and I must ignore the words they say to me. And I was like, wow, like, there's a a major lack of awareness of the spiritual within our Western world and the way that we program people who have that capacity, who are strange, who see things we don't see or whatever. You know, we we ostracize them. We say they're crazy. They need drugs, you know. And with a lot of schizophrenics that I've seen, like the ones in New York on the subway, they're talking. I, I see people with schizophrenia is basically... It's, it's a gift and most of them have no training to be able to harness that gift. And so basically the gift is, is that they're, they're completely open channel to being able to communicate with beings in another realm, in the astral, in another dimension. Unfortunately, because they don't have training and they can't, they can't differentiate between which ones are useful or not assholes asshole beings spirits kind of 
get in their ear. And because a lot of them in New York, they're just, they're talking and they're, a lot of the conversations, I listened a lot when I would be on the subway, I'd really listen to what they're talking about. And a lot of time it was not very nice and it was angry. And so, you know, maybe they're, they're attracting spirits that are on their wavelength. You know, these are people that have had a really hard life and they've been, uh, shunned and kind of pushed away and discredited by society and that builds up an anger and a resentment in them and then they attract that frequency of spirit and that's who's going to have their ear but I, I would argue that people who channel really high beings and channel wisdom could also maybe have the exact same thing going on but they've been blessed with an opportunity to harness it or for whatever reason their frequency match something a uh, benevolent spirit benevolent beings that are that that want to communicate wisdom and helpful instruction and in indigenous cultures people that we would call schizophrenic you know they were taken and they were trained in this gift because they have a connection to the beyond to something they can they talk to uh, ancestors dead spirits they, they they communicate with these people it's i think it's the same gift and we pathologize it and because we pathologize it in modern culture those people don't receive the training to harness that gift and they deal with shitty spirits i don't call them spirit but like lost spirits spirits that are angry just like them maybe they're stuck and that's who they harness that's who they they channel essentially like I, I used to think, oh, spirits, like they're all good. No, there's, there's confused, angry, sad, disappointed. There's all types of spirits and a lot of them are also trapped. So maybe they, they died from this physical life and something was unfinished for them or they left, they died in a way that left them confused and they're stuck. They don't know how to, to move on. Maybe they, they have some kind of jealousy or resentment or attachment to another person, and so they linger. And sometimes they need to be given permission you know, to go. And that's where these people with this gift can come in and actually communicate with them as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I have huge respect for people with that, <laughs> that awareness and that open communication channel. And I think it's a tragedy the way they're treated. And they're not seen as gifted i think <clears throat> yeah i think the biggest challenge now is we've normalized a certain layer of the mind a certain world of the mind that's like hey al how you doing what's what's going on hey in your buddy world? how's the weather how are you i'm good material world you know what you doing over there? What'd you do today? And it's not bad. I mean, that's just, that's, no, that's how we communicate. That's what we do. I do that. But there's a part of, there's a part of mental, there's a, there's a layer in that, that we hang out in. And then, you know, I find sometimes when I go back to, you know, America and I spend a lot of time with people who aren't really necessarily into spirituality or plant medicine or, or things like that. And the, the la layers of conversation that we go through are, very different than what happens here like on the podcast for example there's a program running there in modern culture and that program says this is all there is there's nothing beyond what you can see and that program 
puts a lid on our ability to perceive these things. And part of this work, <laughs> psychedelics can deprogram that for those who are willing and ready. Because for some people, it's overwhelming. This isn't, you know, I think we're all on different paths in life. And, and some people, I, I don't think it's necessary. I can't say it's a good thing to be able to commune with plant spirits and everything, but some people are, are set up for it and they're drawn to be able to do that. And, and plant medicines, I mean, that experience I had where I started spirit, see, seeing spirits was essentially a deprogramming that happened that deprogrammed this, this materialistic paradigm that we live in that is, dominating the world uh that this is all there is and that the meaning of life is to acquire stuff and work work and acquire more stuff and feel safe and then you die and that's it that's the program it's a big it's a big program it's not it don't believe it no and that's that's the that's a really essential deprogramming it's to open us up it's like we have a lid on our crown. We have a lid on our ability to see. Do you see the lid on the crown? Absolutely. There's a. I actually just posted today in the Facebook group on Beyond Words a, a, a little amateur video that somebody did with their art. It's called In Shadow. And there's this, they in a part of In Shadow, that goes through the darkness of what happens in normal society. And, or I should say accepted, I don't want to say normal, nor accepted society or Western society. And one of the things that you see in the video is they put this red cube around people's heads. And in school, they suck out the colorful, beautiful, imaginative parts of the mind. And it's, it's actually very, like the person who drew this was pretty in tune with something. Because mm. <clears throat> there is, there's this limit on the, on the mind. And I think... You know, uh, sometimes going back home and listening to people, it's like, oh, you know, I, I went to work today and it's the same old shit and I'm tired of it. And, you know, Billy, Billy's a kind of a dumbass and he keeps coming in here and fucking up my blah, blah, blah. The oh, copy machine broke. Yeah, copy machine broke. And, oh, you know, the traffic was terrible. This is like negative. That's it. And that's all you hear. When I was flying back to Peru this last time, I was in Miami airport overnight and I, and I was just sitting outside and some of the TSA staff were taking a break outside having a smoke and I was just listening and their conversation was just so negative. So it was just gossip and negativity and that's all they talked about on their break from work. And that's, that's the predominant program. It's interesting that a lot of religions, I, I think of uh, Judaism, I think of Islam, putting a, a cap on the head, right? Cover the crown. And the symbolism behind that, I haven't studied like w what the religion says is the reason for that, but I think it's it's basically to put a lid on that. Like we, you know, maybe there's some humility to it. You know, we're not worthy of having this open connection to God, right? Symbolized through the crown. So we put the lid on it and let the authorities tell us what God is. Maybe. 
There's something, I mean, there's something beautiful and humble about it. But at the same time, it's, it, it's just to me a very symbolic representation of actually what our society and programming are trying to do, you know? And it, it's, it's so normalized now, this point of view, that life is just work and gossip and blah, negativity, and there's nothing else. Well, going back to the, the programming within language or the, the idea that the code itself, the language that we utilize, especially English, uh, holds the keys. So why do we say, I understand? Understand. I stand under what? What am I standing under? That, that idea that I understand. Why not I understand? Or I overstand. Or overstand. In some reggae, I think Damien Marley says overstand. Overstand, man. Yeah. But that's an interesting little key. Yeah. It's all in, it's encoded in the language. So we keep, we, we try to find freedom through utilizing words or speaking about these things that are beyond words. But within even the utilization of the word, we actually entrap ourselves in it. So we have to find new words. I want to start, start saying overstand. Cool. I understand that. I overstand. People will look at me and I'll be like, it's the new way, trust me. <laughs> I convinced my nephews and nieces that chicken is now pronounced chicken. And to this day, they say chicken. I don't know how relevant that is, but that's my influence as an uncle. I'm changing the language of my nieces and nephews. Chicken. Yeah, so... Well, it's interesting because it's like I feel the people I want to surround myself with, you know, hopefully I come into their presence. And I mean, people have bad days. It's not going to be a c consistent thing, but hopefully nine times out of ten we lift each other up through that interaction. It's not like a... Hey man, out of the mill, you know. Yeah, oh, I hate my life, but you know what? Actually, that's why I like comedians because good comedians break. They they interrupt the program. They say things that break our brains a little bit. I mean, that's essentially what shamanism is too, right? It's interrupting programs, opening space for new programs, better programs, upgrades. But a comedian is using words to interrupt the whole thing. And that's why people laugh. It's the laughter is a release of tension. They build it up and then you release and you see something. The best comedians I leave feeling like an expanded awareness and understanding. Those are the Bill Hickses of the world. George Carlin's too. George Carlin's or even the ones that, that bring laughter to the ordinary, you know, like Seinfeld, like in his heyday, his comedy is so clean and ordinary but it's also breaking the mind a little bit in a new way of perceiving these just such ordinary things and these ordinary interactions that we have a thousand times a day and seeing it from a new perspective and interrupting the program. Comedy is, when it's done right, that's what it is. It's, and that's why, that's why so many comedians have been silenced or shunned because they're actually shining a light on something. But it's hard to attack a comedian. Yeah, because they're just kidding, man. <laughs> they're just, just a joke, man. But right now, with the woke movement, words are violence, so it's hard to be a comedian anymore. It, 
words are they're also they're changing the meaning of violence like violence used to mean like violence is physical but now words now violence can be mental as well there's the thought police for you wow well i think it's also like we've removed ourselves so far from violence in many ways and we that avoid we need, we're looking for we need something to replace it <laughs> words yeah whatever you said to me you I interpret it as violence, and therefore you, I must silence you. You can't talk anymore because you're hurting my feelings. God, this is actually hurting me. That's, that's, I don't think it's a huge subset of the population that really embraces that ideology, but it's, it's there. It's, it's more and more there, and it's bad. Isn't this just like what... Like what I said in the beginning of like religion superimposing its ideas upon the words that were written in the book. It's like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like God didn't say that or you didn't say that. You actually meant that, you know, I'm super sensitive and that actually hurts me. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we're going to silence anyone who says anything that can be interpreted as mean. Well, there goes all speech because anyone can interpret anything. Me, just if I say the word apple, maybe someone has a trauma where apples fell on their head. And so that's violence. Isaac Newton, man. Isaac Newton. Yeah. Isaac Newton. If he were woke, he would silence me. Don't talk about apples, man. That that really hurts. I think the challenge within that is there is speech that is hateful. But it's like, again, you know, you got to let it out. You can't silence it. Otherwise, people hold it. Repressing. Yeah. And it doesn't go away because we silence it. It just means we're delaying an inevitable expression of some kind of hate. Mm. You got to let people express it. I'd much rather see hateful words than hateful actions. Mm -hmm. And often hateful actions come from an inability to express the hateful words in the first place. Mm. Let people purge that hate or let it out into the public sphere so we can have a discussion and maybe help people, those people see that they're holding a lot of hateful ideas. Mm. But, but, but silencing it, no, sir. Not good. <laughs> no way. You got your dad voice already, man. Oh, yeah. No, sir. Daddy don't like <laughs> silencing. Well, I think of like the this idea of like everyone's a winner culture or this idea of, and it's like, especially for children, you know, you, you teach your children that they're exactly perfect the way they are and they're, you know, they're always winning and they they should deserve a gold trophy even just for trying. And you know what? That's That's nice. It's very nice. Like, it's very, you know, you're comforting them. That's great. But they're going to go out into the world as an adult and think that they're all winners. And they're not. Their world is going to be shattered. And people are not nice. There are some mean people out there. and they, You got to have thick skin. Oh, you have to have thick skin. If you lived in New York for any period of time, you got to have some thick skin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to teach my kid. I'm going to teach my kid uh, that sometimes people are assholes. And I'm going to teach my kid, you don't get a gold medal every time. The gold medal is just, effort is the gold medal. Trying is the gold medal. Failure, we should be giving gold medals for people who really try and fail. But maybe that doesn't even work. Because now they give gold medals to kids for everything. It's like, uh uh-uh, you put your shoes on. But we have to fail and we have to feel the the challenge of failure. It's like when we 
role in jujitsu, man. Like how many times have you and I been choked over and over like by Chase, rolling with Chase, man. It's just it's it's like an upward battle. You just can't win. He's a black belt. Yeah. <laughs> there I, I I kind of I'm starting to enjoy it. I enjoy the the humili the humiliation. I enjoy being humbled by that. The other day Chase did the thing where basically have I talked about this? The punching and stuff? I talked about this already. In the last one. All right, never mind. I won't talk about it again. Sometimes I don't but remember what I talked about because I'm always talking about stuff. And I don't know who I t- said it to or if I said it here, if I said it to my wife. But uh, when Chase was punching me and I was just trying to get out of, trying to escape, um, man, afterwards I finally did escape. And then I started crying. And I wasn't crying because I was scared or I was cr- there, there's something it like released something some part of me that was just holding on to this false idea that I'm invincible or that I'm uh, that I'm special like I'm just as special as anybody else but I'm not uniquely special you know what I mean and there's something about that punching in that like he wasn't punching to hurt. It wasn't hard punches, but it was definitely enough to interrupt the program, basically. And the program that was interrupted was I'm invincible or something like that. And it led to a release. It was like these lessons of humility. It's the same thing that happens after a really humbling plant medicine experience. Um, it's really important. And if we go around being told that we're special and perfect and like those are true on one level but we need to face we need to face the reality of life that that it's hard sometimes and that we're we're totally mortal (laughs) this physical body is totally mortal and there was i just felt so so much peace after that day every time i spar every time we roll i feel peace afterwards Um, especially in the days which is pretty much every time that I get my ass kicked, you know, I, I'm not there yet. And a piece also comes from the more I do this, the more I can defend myself better. That also brings peace because now I really know what I'm capable of and what, where I still need to learn and grow. And, uh, I spent a lot of my life going around thinking that I had it all figured out and, uh, um, that I don't need to fail at anything. And I avoided failure. I avoided trying things. I avoided putting myself in difficult situations. But it's all the moments, the most poignant and vibrant moments of my life, the memories that I have, are the moments where I faced discomfort. It was like an acting class, you know, doing, performing some scene in front of a bunch of people. It was uh, giving a speech in front of people. It was jujitsu you know, getting my ass kicked, like going through that total discomfort and coming out the other. And those are the things I really remember in my life. I don't remember sitting on my couch, being comfortable, eating potato chips, watching Netflix. Like that's not a memory that stands out in my life. And to me, the key to a really meaningful life is to give it meaning. And how do we give it meaning? We go into our disc, we push ourselves into discomfort, uh, through discomfort. 
rather than avoiding it. This podcast as well, man. We've talked about this. I've been talking about a podcast for like 10 years. And once in a while I would try and then I'd listen and I'd hate it. I hate what I said. I hate my voice. Uh, But thanks to you, the key was having someone to do it with me. Uh, And we believe in each other. And now that's really meaningful. Every, every episode is so meaningful. It's a creation. It's going through the discomfort of doubting what I'm saying sometimes or thinking I sound stupid or, and then just putting it out there. That brings meaning. That's really, really gratifying. And so going forward in my life, I want to keep putting myself in uncomfortable positions where I can grow and evolve. So that's why I'm going to continue with jujitsu. The great thing about jujitsu is like pretty much anything really is you can never mass, you're never perfect at it. And so you can always go to that to find the discomfort, find uh, the, the vulnerabilities and, and experience that. And, uh, and it's a, just a reminder that of impermanence that we're going to die. You know, every time I go to Jesus, it's like, Oh, I can definitely die. Like this guy could probably kill me if it was really a real deal thing, you know? Wow. Cool. We're mortal. We are mortal. Mortal combat. Life is a mortal combat. This, this spacesuit is pretty mortal, yeah. This spacesuit is mortal, yes. The, the This spacesuit is mortal. This meat robot, I like to call it. <laughs> That's my friend Adam in New York. He would call it, our, we are just meat robots. Because we're just a bunch of programs operating through this meat robot. It really is like a robot with all... Like the bones and everything, if you just turn those into metal, we would be robots. They just, because they're bones, they're not made of metal, you know, we're organic beings, but we're robots, man. We're organic technology. We're robots realizing that we're meat robots. That's the whole key. <laughs> Sentience, sounds, man. That sounds like a great band name, Meat Robots. The Meat Robots. I think that my friend Adam proposed that as a band name. The Meat Robots. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. So... That's why I like, <clears throat> I really like and appreciate Chase as our our jujitsu professor. Yeah, he's incredible. He's the best not, teacher I've ever come across. But he's not the best at jujitsu, and he admits that. He's like, there's still more for me to learn. He's a black belt, man. He destroys us on the mat, and there's still more for him to learn. And he and he acknowledges that. And just through that acknowledgement, I find I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I I want to keep working with you. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm this now. You better look up to me. He makes me want to keep doing it. Like seeing him as an example of this art, this martial art, like he lives it. And he's also a great teacher because he, he never, he doesn't really tell me anything. He lets me figure it out for myself, what I'm doing wrong. And and then when I, when I see it and I express what I'm seeing, he's like, that's it. Yes. So he's like, so, patient and open and letting us learn for ourselves this is the only way to learn you can tell someone something but they have to learn it through experience and patient with all of our accidentally kneeing him in the forehead or punching him or scratching him like i I scratched his head and he was bleeding (sighs) he takes a beating yeah but he takes it with such grace god bless you chase we love chase best best jujitsu teacher that i've ever come across 
but I, and this actually ties into what Galen wrote on the Facebook group, you know, about, you know, I called him a master in his craft and he, you know, he rejected that in a good way, in a very, very humble way. And I like, yeah, I shouldn't, shouldn't assume somebody wants the title master either, you know? Um, yeah. And it comes through like, like you said too, it's like there's so much to learn. Even when we reach black belt, man, we're still gonna be like God. it's a new beginning. Because there's still coral belt. Black belt just means you've mastered the fundamentals, and you. But but then it just grows exponentially from there too, right? Then you just start again, yeah. basically. Chase was telling me I think that <clears throat> the old black belt or equivalent of black belt was actually a white belt. You start with a black belt, and it would eventually, over the years and years and years of rolling with that belt, it would turn white. Oh wow! Oh, that's interesting. It's because it wear the color wears out. You wash it enough. Cool, huh? Hmm. Always a white. belt. But here, it's so much dirt and dust that your white belt's <laughs> going to turn black eventually. My gi is brown. Yeah, <laughs> got a brown belt. My white belt is brown, <laughs> but I'm not a brown belt. <laughs> Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, I think now we can... So we're going to record a special little episode. For the locals. For the locals. So if you're not a part of our locals community, um, one thing that we are going to be doing on that, starting right now, is we're recording extra content and episodes. And specifically just to communicate with our community there and also answer questions that people bring up and and uh yeah just to connect with them there so come join the community join us join us on beyondwords.locals.com join some like-minded people for the rest of this show also i just want to say it's been so great having you Uh, here in person man yeah thanks man today's al's last time to be here and what on to record this podcast for now for now you'll be back but uh, it's been such a gift to have you here. It's a lot, actually, so much easier to talk to you mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're right here, even though we figured it out through a screen. But, yeah. You know, Dude, I love I, you, man. I so. love you too, man. It's been awesome being here these past seven, eight weeks, and we'll keep doing it. We will. And, man, I'm, I went through, like, a whole grieving process. Like, last week, I was crying a lot at home about leaving here. But, but just something cool happened. It's like I allowed that process to happen so I didn't hold back my tears and I cried and then something shifted like three days ago and now it's like I feel, I'm ready you know I feel ready to embrace this next chapter like so much coming living in Berlin and if any listeners are in Berlin please reach out let's hang out and having a baby coming and yeah just new exciting adventures so um, I love it here always will and who knows maybe we'll move back here at some point um I don't know where it's going, but we will definitely, I'll definitely be back to record some in-person episodes too. And I love you, man. You mean so much to me. You're the man. You the man. You the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. Yeah, I just, like, knowing you personally, there's a lot of people who are getting to know you through your podcast and through the podcast and starting to see the humor and the joy that you bring. And we're going to, we're going to be lacking that here in What On. Sorry, I'm man. still here, man. I know, man. We'll just have to do like massive Zoom calls every now and then. Yeah. 
And I'll still send you 10 million WhatsApp messages randomly just yeah. talking stuff. Yeah, and I'll just I'll be connecting with this place and you guys like when I I drank some Wachuma when I was in Europe over the summer and just had this huge I was just like seeing this mountain Pitusira. I was seeing all of you guys. So there's something uh something that doesn't matter if we're in close proximity or not. We're just connected, you know, and life goes on and we'll see where we end up. Maybe we'll end up in the same place again. Definitely. In this crazy wild world we live Maybe in. Maybe I'll be in Berlin. Next Maybe time. so. Maybe I'll see you in Hawaii one day. We're thinking about Hawaii. It'd be pretty cool. Too. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Kauai. Kauai. Okay. Is that the best island? It's the best island. Kauai it is. Some people say Maui. But <laughs> yeah. Maui Waui. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. And our next episode will be uh, transatlantic, interdimensional, one man in Europe, one man in South America. Interdimensional. Bringing, yeah, interdimensional, bringing these different perspectives from these, because it's a totally different dimension in Europe. I'm entering into a different dimension than this one. And I love this dimension, man. So we'll see what kind of, fruits this brings to the conversation i think it'll be cool i think so just uh bringing these different perspectives and uh yeah man looking forward to it same thanks everybody beyond words beyond words see you next time ciao ciao